Hello, and happy holidays. This is Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. And my name is Matthew. And we are here to bring joy and laughter to you for the holiday season and to talk about two movies that are classics that we watch as kids. Yeah. One involves um, possible psychosis and the other one involves suicide. Totally fun holiday movies. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's amazing, too, because you watch it and you're like, oh, this is so great. I'm so glad we watched these as kids. And then it's like, huh. These are really, really heavy movies, <laughs> but they're, well, they are foundation movies for our uh, holiday movie experience. And the movie I'm going to talk about later in the show, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, I think is maybe my favorite Christmas movie. And it's probably the one I've seen more than anything else. I we will talk about this, but one of the things that we'll bring up when talking about that movie is the debatability of whether it is a Christmas movie. <clears throat> but I'm going to get started off talking about an obvious Christmas movie, Miracle on 34th Street, which came out in 1947. So this and our other movie are argue are probably the oldest movies we've talked about. Yes. And. Um, while they both have been colorized, I made sure to only watch the black and white versions of these movies because we actually grew up watching these pretty frequently. Yeah. I remember watching Miracle on 34th Street probably on TV and on video. I know we had a dub mm -hmm. of it. Um, it's one that I believe um, mom probably introduced us to. Yes. Or, or maybe it was just on because I don't remember dad being really into this movie agreed maybe he does i'm not 100 percent sure we've never really talked about it and the basic premise of this movie is chris kringle who if you know your santa claus lore that is one of his names saint nicholas santa claus chris kringle and he it starts off on Thanksgiving and he is coming to in, it's in New York City and he is going to enjoy the Macy's Day Parade. And through certain circumstances, i.e. the Santa that was hired for the Macy's Day Parade being super <laughs> drunk and um, well, so, somehow someone's got to stay warm. So that was his excuse. It wasn't even um, snowing that day either. No, but yeah. it looked pretty cold. So he happens to be there. He's the one that that turns in the drunk mm -hmm. Santa and having the beard and everything already. Now, he was not he was in street clothes. He wasn't in his red outfit. The uh, head of the head organizer of the parade, Doris Walker, played by Maureen O'Hara, asks him, will he play Santa? And he ends up be doing such a good job at the parade, he gets hired by Macy's, the department store, for those of you who don't know what Macy's is, to play Santa in the store. And what is makes this movie unique is he keeps telling people that he's Santa Claus. And which so the whole basis of this movie turn is really about is there a Santa? And is he really Santa? Super loaded question to present to small kids watching this movie. 
Like to even to even yeah. throw out a possibility that Santa's not real. The thing about it, so there's a couple different themes that run through this movie. First of all, watching this as kids, do you think the whole question of whether there is a Santa or not, do you think that's why mom showed us this movie? I'm not sure, because, I mean, the way the movie wraps up is reaffirming you need to believe in Santa. Well, and and I think that that it's an interesting question. Like, it's an interesting question to ask any child. But why would you want to if you I mean, I have a son and why would I want to place any doubt in his head of whether there's yeah. a Santa? So well, why would you show it to children? Yeah. That's so this saying. isn't really so this isn't really a children's movie in a lot of ways. Mm-mm. And it really and 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 because of a number of different themes in this movie, I think that. First of all, yes, Indy, it, this is, yes, we're talking about Santa. Um, first of all, one of the themes that as an adult watching this, I kind of get from it is commercialism. And at, and at one point in the movie, Chris Kringle tells one of the people he's talking to, a friend or someone, that he's very concerned about Christmas because he feels like, Christmas has been over commercialized. It has it's lost its true meaning. And he says, like, for 50 years, it's been changing and he wants to to change. And he wants to make sure that people remember the true meanings of Christmas. And, you know, he's not sitting there trying to make sure that everyone believes in Santa because that's what the true meaning of Christmas is. It's more just about family and appreciating, you know, what you have and the people that you're with and being good people and being a happy, good person. I think he also wanted to make sure the idea of, like, wonderment and just imagination. I, I, th- I think... I think. Well, just, that was, just that's the, the other of, theme. Just kind of like the, uh, the... Instead of the cynicism of adulthood, you know, like the kind of right. the joys and like freedom of childhood, you know, free of well, that's the that's the other theme. Just the other theme is about childhood wonderment and imagination and and having and the difference between you know being realistic and having faith and belief and and believing in something, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's whether you can see it with your own eyes or not. And so besides Chris Kringle, you have this mother and daughter, um, Maureen O'Hara's character, Doris, and her um, her daughter, Susan, played by a very young Natalie Wood, um, are total realists. Like they don't they think that, you know, pretending is silly. They don't read fantasy stories or fairy tales they're just total realists and then you have the neighbor who i love fred gailey the neighbor who Mm -hmm. played by john payne who is more kind of about adventure and excitement and wonderment and just kind of you know having a more free kind of fun thinker kind of thing and the and the irony of that is is he's playing a lawyer who has to like live by the you know his job is to follow the law mm-hmm. and um 
we meet those two characters after after Doris goes home. We we meet Susan and Fred because Fred has kind of befriended Susan and they hang out. And when you first meet them, it's Thanksgiving Day and Fred has basically weaseled his way into talking to Susan to basically get himself invited to Thanksgiving so he can hit on her mom. Yep. <clears throat> and it's so great, like, that whole, like, f- beginning of the movie, because it really sets up, you know, a real kind of, a lot of different ideas. Like, they talk, he talks to her about the fa- the idea of fairy tales, and you see, and Susan explains his how she doesn't, you know believe in anything that's fake basically or pretend or whatnot it's a waste of time it's ridiculous right and sorry that having fun and imagination could possibly be good for you right i mean that whole concept of having an imagination or be you know wanting to believe in something that might not be real i mean come on right Mm -hmm. so anyway um ultimately, you know, a lot of different things happen, but there's always throughout the movie these questions of is he really Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. To the point where he gets committed to a psychiatric hospital and he has to go to court in order to get released from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the the defense you know, for the state and has to convince the judge that not only is he not Chris, not Santa Claus, that there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> and it causes all these kinds of, it causes all these kinds of like real kind of like moral questions for adults. <laughs> and, <clears throat> you know, being a father now and kind of having to, play this role now as a dad around Christmas. You know, it was very hard for me to watch this movie um, because I had to make sure I watched it when he wasn't around. Thank you. Because the entire time it's all about whether there is a Santa Claus or not. Yeah. And I don't want him to have any doubt. Correct. Whether there is or not at this point, because he really enjoys it and it makes him happy. Yep. And again, that gets also back to another one of those main points about Christmas, where it's supposed to be about fun and excitement and and being happy. And if Santa Claus is one of those things that makes little kids happy, why would you want to deny that to them? Yeah. So is it really up to adults to, you know change the perception of Santa Claus for a child? No. It's up for that kid. It's for the child to decide yeah. when or that's ready. So ultimately by the end of this movie there's a great scene and I'm bringing this up because we spent a whole year hearing things about how terrible the post office is. <laughs> And how you cannot trust the post office and how how you'll never get your mail on time and all this other bullshit about the post office. Well, I'm here to tell you that 
I am a firm believer in the post office. Me too. I I really like the post office. And the idea, I mean, we talked about it when we talked about Music Man, about how hard it was to get deliveries and how advanced everything is now. <laughs> and ultimately, the post office is what saves Santa Claus. Y- yes. Yes. Well, it, it's it, the post it, office it, 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 it with saves. the help with the help of his lawyer of, of Fred Gailey. But it's it and and a letter that Susan writes him. Yes. With that help. But ultimately, it comes down to the post office saves <laughs> Santa Claus. And the way they do it is they deliver all the letters to Santa to him at the courthouse. And by doing that, it is a government agency believing that Santa Claus is at the courthouse. Therefore, it legitimizes because they won't deliver the mail to it's against their 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 rules to deliver wrong mail to people who are wrong. Otherwise, it's a dead letter and everything. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it certified that he was Santa Claus. And I freaking loved watching that scene. I mean, it's a great yeah. scene anyway, but I freaking loved watching that scene. I, and, I also love... And, go ahead. And, um, you know, there's a... I just wanted to finish, you know, kind of my summary just by saying... I haven't watched this movie in probably, like, 25 years. Me too. It's been a long time since I've watched this movie. It's a Wonderful Life I've watched you know, more recently, you know, in the last few years or so, but this one I haven't watched in a long time and watching it as an adult, especially an adult with a child, there's a much better understanding of what is going on. So I, I'm not going to say that it was like a disservice watching this as a kid because it's fun seeing Santa Claus on TV, mm-hmm. you know, whether, and he's whether so you're like, that's he's, my uh, yeah, That's no. my picture of what Santa, who Santa, what Santa is. Right, and um, I, I just watched it with this kind of like greater appreciation of this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, granted, it you know it's a Christmas movie, and some people don't like Christmas or don't like Christmas movies and think they're cheesy and whatnot. And, you know, it's a movie made in the forties and that might not be everyone's cup of tea, but, um, I really enjoyed watching this. Yeah. You know, it actually ended up, you know, this is, and, and this movie has been remade a number of times and, you know, with more kind of updated versions and I haven't seen any of them, honestly. Um, this is the one I grew up watching, so this is the one I watch. This is probably the one I'll watch, you know, on and on and on. I don't know. I just really enjoyed watching this movie. Now, as far as believing in Santa Claus, there were some... There's definitely some doubts that were put in my head at a young age. And um, Nancy and I have had this discussion before, so I'm not going to ask her when her sense of belief in Santa stopped. Please don't. I have a renewed appreciation for the idea of believing in Santa Claus because I believe that it's that kind of mystique and wonderment 
that really kind of brings a fun kind of angle to Christmas. Yeah, it's magical. And I think that the the only problem I have with Santa Claus is the over the over promotion of Santa Claus as a gift giver. So I think that that is a problem. But I think that the idea if you watch this movie and know that Chris Kringle in this movie is Santa Claus and how nice he is and how good he is. And um, he's played I didn't mention, but he's played by Edmund Gwen and he just has this wonderful kind of happy way of that he goes about himself but it's not but he's also very real like he gets angry like you see him get angry when people doubt who he is or you see him get angry when he has to defend his friends in this movie mm-hmm. and um it makes him more real mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of also plays into the belief so anyway i i enjoy i actually I didn't know how much I would enjoy watching rewatching this, but I actually really enjoyed rewatching it. So, well, I had a similar rewatch experience. Um, also, note that this is not an insanely long movie. It's like maybe an hour thirty, hour forty. So it doesn't go on and on and on, and it and it feels it's well- too. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's it says here that it is uh, an hour and thirty six minutes. So you were very yeah. very close there. Yeah. Um, it never it, the pacing is great. It never feels like it's dragging on too long. And I I don't necessarily watch a lot of older movies. Um, sometimes that's kind of my issue with older movies is that the pacing seems a little slow for me. Um, but no, everything that you said in terms of kind of the you know, Chris Kringle is almost like an eternal optimist and paired with paired against Doris being just this ultra ultra cynical woman because that's really what it feels like with when someone is raising a small child and they're uninterested in anything imaginative or make-believe or silly or anything like that it just seems grouchy. It just seems like, why do you have a kid yeah. then? I mean, it seems like, yeah. how do you play? Oh, you don't play. Okay, well, why? That's it to me, again, I don't have kids, but, you know, I play with my nephew as much as I'm allowed to see him. And it seems like it would be selfish as an adult with children to not ever want to, like, get on their level and, you know, immerse yourself in their world. And to me, that's kind of how she comes off. I mean, she's a single mother. So she's got to take care of everything, which, you know, is a yeah. challenge. And she's got obviously has a very um, high powered role at, at Macy's. So she's got an important job and clearly the most powerful woman in Macy's. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So she's yeah. got a lot of responsibility. And I'm sure there's a there's an element of you can't get to this place by, you know, playing games and whatever. But it was it was so great, and I don't know. I don't think you mentioned this earlier, but Chris Kringle said like he kind of knew if he could win over Doris and Susan, then he knew that there was still hope. So there's still hope. To, yes, they were exactly, kind of like to, his test case. Like, is it possible? Yeah. Because I think 
they really struck him as like, whoa, like they're really unusual. Like I don't know any kids that really don't believe. So, um, I mean, well, even for and Fred's the same way. Fred can't believe like they like the daughter like Susan like didn't know any like fairy tales. Yeah. Like didn't know what like about Jack and the Beanstalk. Who's Jack? You know, you know I mean. There are no giants. Dove, Fred. Yeah. By a giant, you mean someone who is abnormally large. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Natalie Wood. She's so fantastic in this movie. I love her so much. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, and, of course, what does she ask? She freaking asks Santa for a house. It's like, girl, you know. And he even says, ooh. Tall order. He, he yeah. Can like, I get? I'd like a house and a four hundred one k, and um, some security, and you know, possibly um, health care for life. You know, things that are practical and tangible. Yeah. That you know might better my life from a you know a financial <laughs> or sustainability standpoint. Yeah. yeah. And um, I would like that wrapped in a bow under a tree, With and just give it. And with a swing, yeah. <laughs> well, um, and, yeah. Well, oh, I, I did want to expand a little bit on the courtroom scene where, um, where when the post office shows up with the bags, like so good. What I love about right before that happened, you know, here Fred has the three letters, and he goes, "Oh, I have these three letters," and the George, then the judge is like, "Oh, three letters, huh? Okay." And oh, not the judge, the DA. The DA, the DA was like, "The DA is like three letters. Come on, yeah. only and then he's three. Like, oh, I have more." And then the judge is like, "I want them. On Put my them." On my desk. On my desk. <laughs> and it's like, okay, dude. And then just pouring the bags and bags and bags of mail. I mean, it was fantastic. But that's because Susie believed. Susie believed that she could write him a letter there and that kind of saved the day. But, oh, man, when all of the kids that were associated either with the DA or the judge while the case oh. was going on, like wouldn't hug grandpa and was like sneering at dad. Like, I can't believe you're taking this case, dad. You're horrible. You're heartless. You're going to put you're going to put Santa Claus in jail. What is wrong with you? Yes. I mean, <laughs> just so excellent. Um, but but yeah, I mean, and, and then I mean, I did like the, the idea that, you know, like the most evil person in this movie was the store psychologist. Who wasn't, which I had never caught on to, but in the movie they talk about how he isn't actually a psychologist. He's just a guy that they hire that basically works for HR to give tests. That's it. He doesn't even have a degree. He doesn't even have a degree. But he wanted to destroy the Alfred, right? Wasn't that Alfred's name? Alfred was his yeah. friend. He was basically he was basically using Alfred as a guinea pig to practice stuff that he had heard about. <laughs> what a jackass. When Alfred and, and Chris Kringle are sitting at lunch and Alfred's all depressed, he goes, "Well, turns <clears> out <throat> I hate my father." What? What do you mean you hate your father? I thought I always right. loved him. What do you mean you don't? What do you mean you hate your father? Yeah, that's what the doctor said. I go talk to him every day. What? So, so, I mean, it was interesting to see how manipulative, you know, you know, psychoanalysis was. And 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 like Chris Kringle was asking the psychologist, well, what about you? You know, what about you? And he just was so angry that he'd be questioned and decided to retaliate. That's all it was, was just retaliation and even set it up like, oh, he's going to get violent. I know he is. He carries that cane everywhere. And course that's what kind of precipitated the incarceration of santa 
Um, right. But no, this I, I really love this movie. God, God, God forbid Santa Claus would defend, you know, the people that believes in him that, you know, that are good people. I mean, I, I think that's the other thing that's really cool about this is you don't just see Santa Claus as like this toy delivery system. No. You no. see him as an act as like a real person, which makes him more believable. And and I think that whole scene like of him trying to kind of break the ice with Susan and him when she tells the kids or he tells us she tells the story about how the kids were playing zoo and she could only come into the basement if she was an animal Mm -hmm. and she's like I'm not an animal I'm a little girl and he explains to her you know the power of the imagination and he and he uses it like he breaks down the word imagination into into like the imagination and it's like it's a country <laughs> and like the way he breaks it down to like say like okay well let's get on her level to make to convince her that it's real mm-hmm. and then it like opens up her mind to yeah. wonderment and which is like one of the funnest things about children you know (laughs) is like this idea of like this this everything doesn't have to be real they can be like they can joke and pretend you know and that's what's fun there's a limitless quality to it and i mean us grown-ups need to be reminded of that i think no shit right (laughs) and and you know obviously her mom did and uh and then when she like he like teaches her how to pretend to be a monkey and you're like watching this young Natalie Wood pretend to be a monkey yeah. that was hilarious. The one scene I had forgotten about and then when I saw Susan chewing gum I was like oh yeah there's this scene where he had never cho- chewed gum before and he asks her for gum and then you don't see him chew it. You only see him kind of start it. And then he blows a giant bubble and but you don't see him blow the bubble. You just see her eyes just get bigger and bigger and bigger and then it pops and then the next thing you see is him picking the gum out of his beard. I had forgotten all about that and I was like this is so great. And he must like, not have known fun- about the peanut butter trick. No. No. No, obviously not. And uh so anyway, like little things like that were like super fun to to rewatch. Oh yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, and and like I said, this movie's been redone a number of times, and I'm not sure how how it's changed theme wise. You know, if they've like, because I mean, a lot of Christmas for some of I think a lot of Christmas ends up being about gifts and toys and. Mm-hmm. giving people giving people crap you know like sheldon on the big bang theory always has this theory of like he doesn't give presents because you know my thing is ve- of this value and then you're giving me something and we have to keep doing this back and forth of giving giving things to people and mm-hmm. what does it actually mean and mm-hmm. is it worth it and everything like that and i'm not saying gift giving is bad gift giving should be about you know wanting to it's not about like a chain it's not a it's not a what's the word i'm looking for Exchange it's not a transact <laughs> it's not a transaction no you know you know me and you exchanging christmas gifts isn't supposed to be a transaction it's a, what it's really supposed to be about is the look in your eyes when you open it up mm-hmm. and i think that you know over over time maybe that has changed or 
for adults, it is so much different because yeah. when you're an adult, you can buy your own shit, yeah. whereas kids can't really do that. Yeah. I am really surprised, though, that, like, little Susie didn't have, like, a bank account and a checkbook. <laughs> and, like, she when Santa's like, oh, well, what do you want for Christmas? She's like, oh, I just went to the – I just went over to the counter and bought it myself, you know, because yeah. I, I sell lemonade on the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young to babysit, but when I get there, I'm going to be raking in the big bucks. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, though, if, if, if in any of the remakes, like, they – because of the, like, over-commercialization of things like Christmas, I mean – Black Friday, oh, yeah. you know, ends up being like this huge kind of run where it's like not only is it good for retail to make up a big, you know, most of the money that they get that year, but it's also become like this cultural thing where it's like I got to get my Christmas presents that day because it's the best time I can afford getting mm-hmm. really nice gifts mm-hmm. for people. And then especially now with everything that's going on this year, you know, you know that delivery people and FedEx and yeah. Amazon and all these places are going crazy, you know, trying to handle the gift aspect of it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think in, in terms of, like, the, capitaliz- the capitalism of it, um, that's one of the things that happens early in the movie once Chris Kringle is hired to be Santa. And, and I, it was so good. And that part is so good. Yeah. It, he's got the kids coming up to him, and one kid says, oh, I want this. And the mom, who reminds me so much of our grandma, I don't know if she's ever that actress has ever reminded you of our mom's mom or not. Not really. Well, always has reminded me of our mom's mom. But, you know, she's like, you guys don't have that here. And he goes, what do you mean? She's like, thanks a lot. Thanks for setting my kids' expectations super high. You guys don't carry that here. And he's like, don't worry. And not just, not just, well, she doesn't just say, you guys don't have it, but no one has it. She's been all over town and no one has it. And he's like, no, no, no. I pay attention to the toy market. You need to go to this store. And then she's like, I don't get it. What what are you doing? And then she goes to a, a floor manager and says, well, your Santa just gave me some awesome advice, told me to go somewhere else to find this one particular toy for my kid. And, I mean, that's pretty damn amazing that you guys are providing this service. And, you know, of course, this becomes this, like, alarm bell. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe our Santa is sending customers away. But then it becomes right. this incredible PR event for for both Macy's and eventually the other competitor store, Gimbal's. It, it's right. it's so great, and when you think about now, it's like, yeah, that's not that would never happen. happen. That would never it's happen. Just, no, it would never <clears throat> happen. I think the only thing I see that's comparable to that is I think some stores do like price matching. Like if you were to find something at a better yeah. deal somewhere else, then you can get that discounted off your. But even at that, it's like, yeah, just the idea of. Uh, well, know, and he says, saying, saying, "Ugh, it's crazy." He, he says that the whole point, like, he's like, well, why wouldn't I want to make the child happy? Yeah. Like, it's not about, you know, trying for him. It's not about whether Macy's sells it or not. Mm-hmm. And they they get the they get the, the sale. Yeah. He's like, it's about making the kids happy. Yeah. And that's the whole point of Christmas anyway. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was um, I'll call it 
Doris's, you know, character flaw, her inability to believe and wanting to be super realistic and cynical and this and that. What's so great about Fred is that he never it's like he took that on more as a challenge and was never turned off by it. I mean, he must have just really been into her, too, but he never thought like this woman sucks. Like, I'm not interested in even being around someone that's so grouchy and cynical. Like, he deep down knew he could probably help change her, too, and open her mind a little bit because he pursued her for so long. Um, but then, like, the, the tag team of Chris and Fred working on this family it was just so great. Well, and he actually... There's a point where, you know, he decides to take the case to to um to court and he explains to her that his firm his law firm is like you cannot take this and you know they get all mad at him and he he up and quits and at that point you know you don't see you see time has passed a little bit because the whole movie takes place in a month's time where they talk you know Doris and Fred are, ha- you know, they talk about how, like, oh, they've been talking about plans. Like, they, they're starting to kind of get together and, like, yeah. what their future might be like. And because she's so practical, she's like, I can't believe you quit your job over this. Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and he kind of has, like, this look at her, like, I can't believe you're that, like, you you, you don't, don't have that. Me. You don't believe in me and you don't believe in him and you don't have any kind of sense of of faith in any, in anyone only, it's only black or white. Yep. And, um, and yeah, that's her character flaw, but it also kind of brings up an an issue that, um, you know, they don't get into in this movie and they clearly don't need to, because it's not the point of the movie. This movie isn't about Doris and Susie. It's about Chris Kringle, Mm -hmm. but she just said, like Susie just says, Oh, um, my father and mother got divorced when I was a baby. Yeah. So you don't know what happened. I mean, he could have like wanted to go off and be in the circus or something. And she could have thought he was crazy or maybe she was some sort of believer and something happened and it made her like, I cannot do this anymore and stop believing. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting to yeah. think about where she might've come from. But, uh, so the official miracle that's on 34th Street, it's got to be the Santa, the real Santa Claus showed up and shows changed up. everybody's lives. Yeah. And 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 ultimately may have saved, you know, some, you know, what might or might have been the beginning of saving some of the things that he felt like Christmas was losing. Yeah. You know his whole goal to coming to to coming down there and and uh, uh, you know making time in New York to have this kind of grand experiment to see if he could change Doris and Susan's opinions on on belief in Christmas. Then uh, one kinda, one thing I had but, forgotten that happens and it's like right away it's almost like the very first or second scene is when the he, reindeer scene oh my god that is so freaking funny to me they're in the wrong order what are you doing i would never oh, and, have him on my right side he has to be over here and, and if you didn't notice blitzen has four horn like <laughs> points on his antlers not three come on man your model <laughs> is wrong 
you ain't selling shit this year. Oh, man. It just cracked me <laughs> up. I was like, I don't think I'd remembered that at all. So it was just like, okay, right out of the, right out of the bat, he's uh, making a splash. But um, So Fred Gailey is your favorite character? If not Chris Kringle, Fred. Yeah. Fred, definitely. Same for me. It's... The two of them are the, you know, they're, they're like electric. But, I mean, really, Natalie Wood, I mean, what an amazing little child actor she was. I mean, it's not, no shock she went on to do the other things that she did. Well, and she has the line in this movie that, that I, you know, mom used to always say to us. And then I, and I've kind of put into my vernacular when she's quietly like, I believe, Mm -hmm. I believe, Mm -hmm. I know it's silly, but I believe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, and there is one, there is one. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a nice movie to watch at this time of year. I was, I was uh, writing out Christmas cards while I was watching this the other day and I was like, yeah, this feels, this feels good. Never too late, Nancy. (laughs) It is not. It's never too late. And you know, it's not also not too late is it's never too late to find the true meaning of life sometimes Mm. and that's one of the themes of our next movie that we're going to talk about so nancy tell us about it's a wonderful life so the 1946 frank capra masterpiece it's a wonderful life with jimmy stewart and donna reed and lionel barrymore is about this really great guy who is almost like an unelected mayor of Bedford Falls because he just really helps everybody. Everybody leans on him, but he isn't really aware of his impact in the world. And in fact, he would much rather be a much, much more worldly person and shake the dust off of the town off of his shoes and go somewhere else. But circumstances from a very young age kind of keep George Bailey stuck in Bedford Falls while different people in his life, an incredibly inept Uncle Billy, a fairly selfish brother, um, and then... You think he's selfish? We'll get there. Um, Harry? You don't think Harry's selfish? No. Harry could have insisted... When he got married, no, we're not going to be moving away. I made this promise to my brother, and it's my turn to step up. But he didn't. You don't I think, think that's, that, that, that wasn't selfish? Like, hello, how, what had George wanted to do forever? He wanted to leave. He wanted to finally go to college or travel or something. And, and the fact yeah. that, that Harry didn't even tell them that he got married until he showed up, it's like George had all these ideas like, okay, I can go to Venezuela, I can go to Mexico, I could do this. They need engineers, and that's what I've been doing for several years now. So, hey, come on, Matt. I, I think that I wouldn't say he was I, – I, I tend to – I tend to put selfish in a category of making choices that I consciously would make at the expense of other people. Whereas I don't think he was being, I think he was just like, he wasn't as considerate of, uh, okay. you know, okay. as of other Maybe people. Maybe selfish like is when too he takes, harsh, like when he takes his, certainly. like when he, 
Like when he takes his mom's dishes. <laughs> we just need two dozen. Who has two dozen dishes laying around? Come on. They were they ran a boarding house though, this so they true. had a lot of people there. This is so. true. Anyway, go go back yeah. go back to talking about. Okay, the movie. so so. Before we see who George Bailey is or anything about Bedford Falls, the movie starts up out in heaven, and it's the angels looking down and all kind of having this discussion because they've heard all of these prayers going out on Christmas Eve, like, please look after George. I'm so worried about my friend, Mr. Bailey. Oh, I love George so much. What's what's wrong with Daddy? Please look out for him. So all these people are sending prayers up to heaven and asking, you know, George Bailey... He needs some help. What's going on? So the angels decide, all right, let's let's watch his story. Let's let's go see if there's there's a angel second class that could go down and help him. And they summons this guy named Clarence who kind of a dim guy, but you know, sweetheart and uh they show him his life they show him George's life story so he would be better prepared to come down to earth and help him. Help him. And and why does he have to go and help him? Because George Bailey is considering suicide. (laughs) George (laughs) Bailey on Christmas Eve is thinking of throwing himself over the over a bridge and into an icy cold river and killing himself. And and we'll get into why he like one of the reasons why he's done. He's considering this in a minute. Yeah. They they show all of these like seminal moments in George Bailey's life, you know, from something as early as like when he's nine, like 10 or 11 or something, he saves his brother from an icy lake and then he loses his hearing in his left ear. And then he saves the druggist from making a fatal mistake with some pills that he was putting together for another kid because George, this incredibly empathetic person had like stumbled upon a telegram that mentioned that the druggist's son had just died so you know he's he does what he can to intervene and help but a lot of the time it's at the expense of his own happiness and like being able to leave go ahead sorry to interrupt which i do anyway i do but did you did you um did you kind of figure out what how like what was going on when his son died his son, if you do the math. Oh, my God. It was. The, he he had, died he of the, the Spanish, Spanish flu. flu. He had the Spanish flu. Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> yes. Because it said the influenza. Oh. And if you do the timeline, wow. if you look at the years of the movie, he had the Spanish flu. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to. I need to go back and look at that telegram again just to see. Wow. Yep. Okay. So. So anyways, like George puts himself out there all the time to help people around him. He 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 can't tell people no, like people know they can rely on him. So they do. And they take advantage of him all the time. And it just becomes this cycle for him and the rest of his life. Um, His father and his uncle run. Um, a very democratic institution in the in the town. In fact, it's the only financial institution that is not corrupted by the evil Mr. Potter, um, where people can like build a house and, you know, it's, I swear to God, Matt, this movie, like, I think watching it so many times when we were kids, like helped play into like our sense of politics. I bet Mm. Bernie Sanders loves this movie. (laughs) I'm sure he does. I bet Bernie Sanders is like, yes, this is, this is a great movie. 
Um, but just this idea, like, okay, this bank that we're running, it's we don't have tons and tons of cash in a safe because the money is kind of in everybody's homes as they're being built. and Yeah. Because it is it is socialism at its finest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but as you can imagine, you know, this bank, it, it, maybe it's like a credit union. Something uh, kind of maybe that's I don't like know the enough basis about of how it. credit unions work, but I, I want to say it's probably got like a credit union kind of a, um, blueprint. But, you know, his dad is under tons of stress like his dad has never lived like any kind of glamorous life. And George grows up watching his dad kind of like struggle, you know, to make ends meet or whatever. I mean, they're not poor or anything, but just they never got to live a lavish lifestyle. And that's something George always wanted. Like he wanted to travel. Like that's really the big thing. Like he wanted wanted to to see the world, see the world in big thing and build big things. Yeah. You know, but you know, after, the, the right as he's about to leave, like it's like the night before he's supposed to leave, it turns out his dad gets a, has a stroke and dies. So his trip gets postponed as he's helping with the building and loan. But Potter is trying to corrupt the board members and basically twists it around where if George leaves, the building and loan will be dissolved. So he gets this huge question of, do I sacrifice my dreams? Or do I help take care of everybody here? Well, the choice becomes obvious to him. Like, of course, I can't leave everybody hanging. So then his brother goes to college in his place with all the money that he earned or was going to use for his trip. Um, His brother didn't have to wait and work for four years to earn the money to go to school. No, no. Just take George's money. Okay. Selfish act number one of Harry's. Um but then when Harry's done with school and now it's supposed to be George's turn. Oh, no. Harry got married in school and he's got a, sp- a fancy little job up with his wife's dad's company. Um, OK, so why didn't you say anything? And whatever. So now, George, all these years later, as they disc- as the voiceover says, and George just got four years older, waiting for his brother to come back home. Um, when he basically is told again, nope. You you can't leave. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna let you leave because I've got a different job and whatever. He at least finally like finds love, you know, or opens his eyes to the possibility of Mary because you know she's awesome and why not? And she was like there the whole time. But well, and and I think also at that point he had seen you know all of his opportunities you know to leave kind of he even though he had you know saved up money and he was running the the business and loan you know at that point you know with harry leaving it was basically down to well no one else is going to run this business and loan so in some ways i'm kind of i'm kind of stuck here and you know how can i now advance my happiness and if this is where i'm gonna you know uh plant you know have some roots I should, you know, how else am I going to make it happy, make myself yeah. happy? And well, it's like he Mary good. was there the whole time. She was. So, yeah, you know, like Mary's been around forever. She's loved him ever since she was a little kid. And it was kind of just, I think, waiting for him to open his eyes and realize, like, you know, I could make you happy. I mean, if you realize that 
Bedford Falls isn't quite the horrible place that you're making it sound to be. Like we could we could make a pretty decent life here. And you know they had this great they had this great night. You know the night that um, Peter Bailey died was the high school graduation, and the two of them had this really awesome Harry, connection. Harry's high school graduation. Yeah, Harry Harry and Mary's high school graduation. Um, they had that great great party at the school and the Charleston dance scene, which is maybe my favorite scene in the movie or the scene of them walking home in the bathrobes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they have this really great connection. It's probably like the first conversation they ever had as like adults. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, very sweet. So like this movie is like filled with a lot of romance, but it's also filled with a lot of kind of like big questions about like being an adult and, do you how can you hang on to your dreams and live your dreams if you've got all these like big major responsibilities constantly dumped on you and things that you never really expected to be stuck doing but you love and care about all these people around you so you don't want to leave them high and dry but can you really ever appreciate your life if you don't feel like you're making the choices to get you know that lead you from one thing to the next and the reason he's considering suicide is because they end up in a financial bind because of inept Uncle Billy, who should never be trusted with money. This is actually George's biggest problem, is that he's ever given any faith and trust into Uncle Billy. This I watch this movie, I think I watch this movie pretty much every year, and this fact about Uncle Billy makes me more upset each viewing. Like mm-hmm. each year, I get more and more mad about it because it's a, such a practical. Uncle, it's a, such a practical Uncle Billy. It's such a practical How? problem he could have resolved by just never trusting Uncle Billy with money, or just asking Uncle Billy to never. Yeah, just don't ever handle money. Let let the lady who works in the office handle the money. Let the other guy that works in the office handle the money, but not Uncle Billy. So, so for people who don't know, there was an old trick. You know, I mean, and people might still do this with like rubber bands or something where if you needed to remember something, people would tie a string around yeah. their fingers. And Uncle Billy had like five strings yeah. on his fingers because he was that like forgetful yeah. and irresponsible. And um, when and you learn this really early on oh, yeah. with the, at the savings and loan. So when George took it over, his loyalty to his family and to Uncle Billy really outweighed, you know, because he was such a compassionate person about, you know, you know, with so many people, like there was no way he would ever make a decision to be like, sorry, Uncle Billy, you can't do this, you know, because you've been you started this place with with my dad and everything like kind that. Of a respect, but out of respect, <clears throat> out of out of respect. And 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 that whole scene where. Uncle Billy loses the bank deposit that he needs to because he was distracted by the, you know, by a newspaper article about Harry uh, being a war hero that he loses the bank deposit. And then and on top of that, he. They, they kind of hint that he has a drinking problem. Yeah. So, again, we should also think about, like, whether that was very responsible of George to to keep him keep him on. But um, that whole, dis- like you said, I mean, why would you even trust him with 
something yeah. so big yeah. unless you like I mean but again that's that's having faith in your family that you know and, and I think and his dad did too I think Peter probably yeah. entrusted Uncle Billy with these roles and maybe Peter had some regrets with ever letting Uncle Billy have certain authority and things and it could just be that Billy got worse as he got older too Oh, absolutely. Um, when, yeah. when he's breaking down with George late on Christmas Eve, everywhere he looked, and then he, he said, I even checked all of the rooms that I've kept locked up ever since I les- lost Laura. So I'm assuming Laura may have been his wife or maybe was like a kid yeah. Yeah. that had died. So maybe that also kind of sent him over the edge, like, again. Maybe. But, but, you know, jo- so George... Because of the financial obligations to the building and loan, the bank examiner is like showing up to like, you know, do a report or whatever. I mean, it felt kind of like like an Enron scandal or something, <laughs> you know. He no, they actually they say that like he even points out like he even points out the idea that you know someone might think that you know we've stolen the money yeah. or gambled it away yeah. or something and and that is when we also see the other twist to the you know uncle billy losing the money story is the super mega villain in this yeah. movie is potter the richest and man the richest man in bedford falls and what happened was billy had the envelope of money and he went to show Potter the newspaper article by taking the newspaper from Potter and then, uh, you know, just kind of out yeah. of out of not thinking, wrapped the envelope in the paper and then handed it to Potter. Yeah. So he gave the money to Potter and Potter being, a you know, spending the whole movie trying to, you know, destroy the Baileys mm-hmm. doesn't give it back. No. Nope. And then ultimately when George is you know down to you know so desperate to pay the bank back he goes to potter to ask for the money and instead of potter being like i have your money and i'm gonna hold it over your head forever or i'll give it to you if you sign over the bank business you know the the savings and loan to me or doing something that was more sensible he doesn't tell him and instead tells him that his life insurance policy is greater than the loan and he's worth more dead than alive yep because he only had five hundred dollars <laughs> collateral in the life life insurance policy and yep you're worth more dead than alive dude so yeah. he decides to kill himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, he doesn't decide to kill himself first. He decides to go home and like be the biggest dick to his whole family. Like he is just he's totally shattered. at this No, time. he does that. He does that after he goes. To he Potter does that. After. He goes to Potter after. OK, so, yeah, he, he's gone home and his four kids, his wife. They're all like trying to get ready for a big Christmas Eve party, and he just unleashes on all of them. He's so and Mary, you know, God bless her. She's trying to like pry out of him. What the hell happened? What happened? We can fix whatever it is, and he just won't give yeah. it up because again, you know, he's not someone who ever asks for help. You know, he's Mister. I'll no. do it all myself. But once he gets to, you know, and then of course in in the meantime, like. He's insulted one of his children's teachers, and then he ends up at a bar, and then he gets, like, decked across the face, and, like, 
you know, mouth is bleeding and all this crazy stuff. But, you know, it's very, very far into the movie when he makes the choice to try to kill himself. I mean, or when we actually see that happen. So we don't get to... So what we get to be presented with, which is so awesome, is like the bizarro world. The the world without that... If Georgia Bailey had never been born. Yeah, so Clarence, you know, Clarence is having this hard time. You know, he... Clarence comes down and decides to jump off the bridge before George and knowing knowing what he knows of George, he knows George will jump in to save him. George saves him and then in talking to George to try and make him feel better realizes that the only way George is going to change his state of mind is you know George says something like it'd probably be better you know you know he's like well you think you would have been better dead huh and he goes well probably not it probably would have been better if I wasn't born at all and then he's like okay fine I'll show you what life would be like if you weren't born and what the town would be like and and you almost get like this like you said this bizarro world look where then Clarence then shows him what Bedford Falls would be like without him And, and it's almost like a um it's kind of like in Christmas Carol where all of a sudden you're being shown like all like the Christmas past and the Christmas present and the Christmas future and like all the different things that could be going on. You know, it, it's like this eye opening thing, but he like really does it like he really is like, fine, you've never been born. You would never existed. Let's go see what this town would be like. And that and it's it's creepy. Yeah. And but it's so eye opening to realize like how much this one person affected so many lives and how that town changed. And like his contribution, I mean, he literally helped build the town into what it was. In fact, in the alternate universe where he had never been born, I mean, it's not even Bedford Falls anymore. It's freaking Pottersville. And, and you know, it's, I mean, Mr. Potter is like one of the greatest villains of all time because there's just... There's just nothing that shows he's got any remorse or sympathy or any concern. I mean, which is, again, why it feels very interesting in terms of, like, thinking about, like, our own political views and how governments run and society. It's like, right now there's a whole lot of potters trying to run Mitch McConnell. Yes. So... um, it, you know, when, when the, he, Cone, the Coke brothers, yeah. <laughs> you know, once George finally encounters all of the things like, you know, his mother is this very, very sad, bitter old woman. Mary had never found anybody. She stayed an old maid. His brother, even though those were all George's friends and none of those were Harry's friends, he still went sledding on that. And fell into the ice and then died. So he when he was when he was like nine. Yeah, those yeah. are all those are all George's friends. So I'm not entirely sure that would have exactly happened. But for argument's sake, you know, fine. But like Mr. Gower would have gone to jail. Like all these other, you know, all these things would have happened if George hadn't been there to intervene. I mean, I guess it's kind of like I've never seen it, but I've heard like the butterfly effect. Like if one thing yeah. was to change, then all these other things change. Yes. Um, but George finally, finally, like, has come to grips with just how messed up it would have been had he never been born. That he's like, fine, I'll just take, 
I'll I'll take my lumps. Like I'll face the consequences of Uncle Billy's fuck up, and fine, whatever. But just get me back to my life. Like I need my family. I need my wife. I want my kids. You know, bring it all back. And you know, you had asked the question earlier. How was this a Christmas movie? I was thinking that same question today too, because it really could have fallen on any holiday. But because. It it's because it takes place at Christmas Eve. Eve. Yeah. That's the only reason. The yeah. only reason why, and, and that and some and at some point TBS or whatever channel <laughs> decided to play it for twenty four hours, decided that, you know, oh this is a great time to play it because you know, and I guess and and I th- struggled with that question while I was watching mm-hmm. this. Like okay. I don't think this is a Christmas movie. Why do people think it's a Christmas movie? And I guess the uh, there's two reasons. One, like you said, the end, the climax of the movie happens on Christmas Eve and onto Christmas, and there's you know snow and everything like that, so it feels Christmassy. But I think that the other aspect of it is the conclusion of the movie is not just you know George decides to take his lumps and possibly go to jail. Is Mary? His family, who, you know, he, you know, she always said that she would be by his side forever, goes to all the people in the town and collects yeah. all the money that they need yep. and then some. Yep. And then some. And, um, you know, and it's that sense of giving. It's that yeah. sense of, of community. Yeah. And all of that. And I think that that is one of the, if you're going to lump this in with Christmas, that is that is the takeaway taking I mean, care this of movie, each other you know? yeah i mean this movie didn't even come out near around christmas it came out in january so i mean it, it i mean it was never intentionally to made to be a christmas movie yeah. but because of that whole aspect of it yeah well it, it you is know, a, you it's know, a christmas movie i, I mean it, it really does have that feel good quality to it i mean and and you are watching yes. a full movie about a man that does so many good things you know, I mean, oh, yeah. George Bailey yeah. was such this, this wonderful character that, yeah, he would be a little spiteful and frustrated. Like when Sam Wainwright would come by and flaunt that he's doing this or that, like he'd get kind of pissed off. Like, yep. And I have a smaller life. Like there's little things like he wasn't perfect. Um, no, he he was flawed. I mean, he he had a he, he was kind of like he was he was jealous of all the people who got to yeah. leave. And, you know, in the same sense, you know, he felt like he kept making he kept feeling like he was being trapped into making decisions yeah. that, you know, were not his in order to help other people and sacrificing his own happiness for the greater good. Yeah. Right. And. Um, but in the end, you know, he did make some I mean, we make choices every day and. You know, sometimes they might not give us this immediate happiness that we're looking for. Yeah. But the in the long run, you know, you have to look at that. But yeah. it's hard to see it. Yeah. So when you got when he got to have this kind of I like your term bizarro world kind <laughs> of kind of look at everything, it, it helped, you know, see the mark that he had left mm-hmm. and how, you know, it might not have been the life that he wanted but like you said it was the it it was the it just turned out that way and and 
it's hard to appreciate that one over time, you know, because yeah. you're not getting that immediate excitement. He didn't he he couldn't be a war hero because he saved his kid brother in the water and he lost his hearing in one ear. Yep. You know, he, so he never would have had that opportunity. Yeah. Stuff like that. Well, and so. I think I think the other thing, too. I think people like George Bailey, who are always doing for others and aren't doing a lot for themselves, they're taken advantage of, and they're probably not always very appreciated. And I think part of this experience for him was all these people kind of rushing in all at once, finally being able to show some massive gratitude towards this person who's always done everything to help everybody else. It was like, oh my God, finally, like, not that he was like starved for it or anything, because I mean, you know, he did have his, have Mary and his kids in particular, but still it's like, I can't believe I've given up so much for what? You know, but then for this this huge display at the end, all these people just coming to his aid finally, it just it, it was like the opportunity, you know, the opportunity for other people to finally help him. You know, right. and, and that and that's the thing I think a lot of people <clears throat> struggle with. Like there's plenty of people that never want help. But you know what? It's a really great thing to ask someone to help you. Because first yeah. first off it it's- means that you're willing to show some vulnerability, like I'm not invincible and I can't do everything by myself, but it also offers someone an opportunity to help you. And it also, and it also shows, it also instills some sort of trust in that other person. When you say, Hey, can you do this for me? And, you know, believing that, you know, maybe, and and, and I think that the other problem is, it's like a lot of perfectionists don't want other people to do stuff for them. They always want to do it themselves. And the, the, the bonus to letting other people do things is also having to accept that things don't have to be your way all the time. Like there, there are multiple ways to load the dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) Not, you can't, you don't always have to go and load it a specific way. And having that kind of release of, I don't have to stress out about the dishwasher. I can just (laughs) let someone else load it and the dishes will get clean regardless of the method of which they load it. (laughs) You think that's funny, but that is real life. (laughs) I would like to hope that's very small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) But yes, having someone, I mean, and, and, and I think that it it takes a lot for some people, like you said, to ask for help on certain things. Now there's some people that just want people to do stuff for them all the time. And I think that's, that's another extreme, but at the but there's a lot of times where, it, you're right. It, it takes vulnerability and it, it, it takes a lot of humility to be able to say, I can't do this. Can you help me? Yeah. And sometimes it has nothing to do with ability to do it. Sometimes it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Like, can like, don't, you know, if there's, I, I mean, I do that with my son now. I mean, he's getting older. I need to teach him responsibility. Yeah. So That's good. I can't feel like I can't feel like I'm doing everything around the house when I can be like, this is stupid. I'm putting him to work. <laughs> teach him some responsibility at the same time, you know, make him appreciate work and, you know, help yourself out at the same time. Yeah. I mean, we had we and I had chores as kids. And, oh, yeah. and, and I always liked helping from as long, far back as I remember. I always like to help and, do stuff. And, and, and the nice thing is, is he helps out a lot. 
And when I ask him to do something, even if it's something, I mean, I don't, I don't tell him to cook dinner, but I have him help out by like grabbing something himself or doing something himself. And it's all stuff he has to learn anyway, but it's stuff I don't. And and one thing that I've learned, and maybe it's also because I don't have as rigid a personality where I think things always have to be done a certain way. I kind of don't, I trust that people can do stuff on their own. I mean, I couldn't be a manager at my job if I didn't trust that people will do things a certain way. Because I do not, I I try my best not to micromanage at all. Because I basically am like, that person is an adult. That person is responsible. I should be able to say, please go do this. And as long as we know how to. And, and. I might remind them, like, politely remind them, like, remember to do this, but I hope I'm not micromanaging. No one's ever told me I, they feel like I micromanage. But it, um, it, it gives you a sense of relief to be able to be like, I don't have to worry about this. I have, you know, it's something I don't have to stress out about. So, yeah. Yeah. I would. So, so I think having this conversation and like, the idea of the, the feelings involved that this movie generates, I think it's great that we are reminded at Christmas time of all of those things. And I think in addition to it having fallen on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, whatever, I think it's nice for people to think about those things at Christmas time. That being said, can I bring up another topic that is not necessarily just related to this movie? Sure. Based on everything you just said and all the positivity that that comes out of watching this movie, and yes, it does take place around Christmas, but it's more the feelings and the and everything that makes it more of a Christmas movie than anything. How can you say Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Because it I is don't absolutely get it. all on Christmas. It's on it, but, everything about the reason he's there is because yeah. of Christmas. Everything about that movie is because of Christmas. But but. It's all, so it's a Christmas movie because it takes place around Christmas. When we just went into this whole diatribe about whether It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie, is it only a Christmas movie because it takes place around Christmas? No, we justified that by specifying all the other things about it, all those things which Die Hard does not have. This is not an either-or conversation. <laughs> it's not like there is a list of criteria... I think it's like you know what Matt I'm gonna say it's like I just Chris find Kringle, I just find if you believe then it's real I believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie so for me it's real I plan okay. on watching it tomorrow Go I haven't ahead. watched it yet this season but I plan on watching it tomorrow so. I I honestly don't care that much whether I knew what you were going I, with that I knew I just, you were gonna I just where that was I just think lead. I just think I just think the whole idea of Die Hard becoming a Christmas movie has become like this like it's like an old fun topic to talk about It's also my favorite <laughs> Alan Rickman performance and you know rest in peace Alan Rickman it's so great to see him as Hans But isn't but wait a minute, isn't he in an actual Christmas movie? Which I will also be watching. <laughs> Love Actually, yes. Oh, man. So I, I, yeah, I knew I had, I mean. I knew you were going to say I knew. <laughs> So I think it's pretty obvious, like, George Bailey's my favorite character. I don't know if that's where you're leaning towards, too. Um, you know... I like George Bailey. He is the main character. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, because this was the first time we saw him, like, 
James Stewart is oh. George Bailey. Oh yeah, I love you know, <laughs> and you know he d- he's done like a number of Hitchcock movies and all these other things, but like yeah. because of when we watch this, mm-hmm. I mean, and. And it's really funny how this movie has changed, and I'll get to my favorite character in a second, but, like, when you and I were growing up, like, we had this movie, but it wasn't, it wasn't all all the time. And then when we got a little bit older, it was, like, every year it was on, and it became the Christmas movie. And then somewhere in, like, probably the 90s, it changed, and you didn't see this movie as much, and it was always a Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Which we kind of slowly became like the Christmas movie in our household for a while, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's funny how that has, how it's changed. We're like, oh, it's a Wonderful Life. It's too old. We don't want that movie anymore. And I think it gets kind of lost in the wayside a little bit compared to some other Christmas movies now. I mean, well, not if you for ask, me, if you ask, I've watched this movie. No, not for no, 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 not for us because we grew up yeah. watching it. But like. We might be like the last generation that really sees this movie as a Christmas movie where people like it. Whereas I think like after us, it's stuff like A Christmas Story, Elf, Christmas Vacation, God forbid, Santa Claus. Oh, God, I, I hope not. I hope. And I think that those movies probably might. Or Home Alone. Home Alone is another one that Mike really steers towards mm-hmm. a whole like another generation. I think like we're probably like the last generation to like even really care about this movie. I think we have an opportunity with your son. Maybe when he's like nine or ten would be a good age to watch this. And see yeah, but I don't know. I I don't know how well he'd gravitate towards it. I mean. One of the things about Miracle on 34th Street is, again, they've remade it a number of times. Well, they've remade it a number of times so they can update it, whereas this is a movie that has never really been remade. It was a flop, too. And it was a flop. It it, it had a 30-year kind of just blahness, and then I guess in the late 70s, it kind of had this revival, and that's that's when we were introduced to it was, you know. But well, I, my, I hope that when he's like around nine or ten, we can sit him down and watch it, and and then have the kind of conversation about like all the values that are espoused in the movie right. and why we love it, and not being the reason. Does um does Sherry watch this movie, or has she ever seen it? It was it was not like a regular movie for her to watch uh, around the holidays, and we watched it um, this week for um, to prepare for the podcast, and and. She told me she's like I really really enjoyed watching that. Good, you know this time, That's and I great. think it. And I think it's just a matter of like we're also older and yep. we have a different appreciation for it. And we're and and I was trying to like kind of do the math, and I'm like we're probably like George at the time where he's trying thinking about killing himself is closer to our age now. Mm-hmm. You know, probably so. Yeah. You know, I think that having to deal with like real life struggles, mm-hmm. you know, in in our lives yep. makes us relate to him at that point in his life a little bit more and better understanding of it. Um, but so, you know, George is the obvious choice. I'm going to say Mary. Yeah, she's wonderful because because from the moment when when um, you see them as kids in the in the drugstore and he's getting her the ice cream and she leans over and she's like is this your bad ear 
I'm going to love you till the day I die. <laughs> like, you're sitting there like, oh, man, this this is crazy. And then that whole scene when they're walking back after the graduation. It's the best. And they're singing the song to each other. And she doesn't play, like, this kind of, like, oh, George, you're the greatest. Oh, my God. She kind of puts him off. And, like, you know, she's got a good head on her shoulders. Yeah. Kind of like she's independent, yeah. you know, in, a, in that sense. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, and it might be my favorite scene, is is that scene when yep. they're walking back, yep. and then all of a sudden she gets kind of startled and runs off, and his foot is on her robe, yep. and she runs naked into the into the into the bushes, and he's like, "Well, this is a very interesting situation," <laughs> and then he's like thinking about it in his head, and then she's like, "Can I just have my robe?" And he's like, "She's like freaking out," and he's like. Maybe I could sell tickets. That's another line yeah. that, like, encroached itself into my yeah. daily vernacular. Like, maybe I could sell tickets. <laughs> and, and the reason he's taunting her is because she'd made a wish at the old house and would not reveal what the wish was. Because they threw and, or he or, or he was just kind of playing with her. Well, <laughs> but that's what he asked her to do. And she's like, I'm not telling you. He's like, mm, okay. and, then, and, then, and then all of a sudden he has to run off and he tosses her the robe because his dad had a stroke and died. Yeah. And she got yeah. to like be there with him in that moment, like right when he got the news. So it was like, yeah. Oh. But, yeah. Um, anyway. But I, I really I really enjoyed you know, getting to watch this again. It's probably been a few years since I've watched it. Mm. You know, we have a friend who has never watched this movie and I talked to him last night and I was like hey um I just watched It's a Wonderful Life have you watched it yet and it's a movie that he always said like whenever he gets kind of settled down with someone that he would that he wanted to watch uh, with her and he's been married for a few years now and he still hasn't watched it yet and I was like dude you really should go and watch It's a Wonderful Life you know I think you'll really enjoy it and he's and he's also kind of he kind of reminds me of, of, of George a little bit because he's gotten to do both things. Like he's gotten to kind of go on adventures mm-hmm. like George, but as he's gotten older, he's also had to take on a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really interesting to kind of have him kind of see this movie now. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if he watched it. I should, I should text him and be like, Hey, I just started. We just recorded, and you should go watch this movie. I'm anyway, sure didn't mind the reminder. What is your favorite scene? I, I think it's the same I've... one after after the high school dance, and they're walking yeah. back. And but I also love the end. I love the end once you know he gets back to life, and you know he's on the bridge, and Bert recognizes him, and then he's just like running all through town, and he gets home, and he's just like this. Merry Christmas, movie house. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> I love the end so much, and I just think that, I mean, I always get teary when I'm watching the end, and like all the people flooding in, and just... With the money, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, they are there to take care of him, finally. It's like they finally well, have a and, chance, and... And in that, and in that end scene, and... and you know, I brought this. Up, I bring this up because last, since COVID started, and we'll probably do this even after COVID. Um, some friends of mine who I've grown up with, we have a like a call twice a month where we mm-hmm. do a video chat. Mm-hmm. You know, watching this movie, there's a line at the end of the at the end of the movie. Throughout the movie, Clarence refers references the fact that he's breeding Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. and. 
at the end of the movie, when they're going through all the money in the basket, where all is all the money that um, Mary had collected just by going around the neighborhoods, um, they dump it all out, and in there is a copy of Tom Sawyer that Clarence has inscribed to George that says um, something like, um, "No man, or um, I mean, no man." is worth anything unless he has friends or something like that. Basically implying that, you know, you're, you are a wealthy, successful, rich man if you have friends. So having had my call last night and knowing that I have these great friends that, you know, we can just shoot the shit about and still care about, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and talk to, and then, and then, um, even if it's a small group of friends, you know, made me really kind of appreciate them. And appreciate myself and and everything. Have after having that and reading and seeing that scene, mm-hmm. it just made me kind of made me all warm and fuzzy. Well, so. and then it, and then that was capped with Harry toasting to his brother, mm-hmm. to George Bailey, the richest man, the in, richest town, man in town. Town, which rich, you know, because yeah. George has always like known he didn't have the nicest house, all these things. But it's like Harry's like, no, you are the richest man in town. Look at look around, look at this, right. Right. So. And, uh, yep. Good times. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way just with, you know, the few people that listen to the show. Yes. It makes me feel good. Yes. You know? Thank you, listeners. <laughs> listen to our babbling about Christmas movies. Yeah. But, uh, and all the other movies was, we talk about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was fun. So, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And um, we wish everyone a happy and safe holiday, whether no matter what holiday it is. I want to thank Nancy for all of your wonderful stories and input. I want to thank you for the same as well, Matt. Always an adventure doing the podcast together. Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. And um, I just wanted to say, no, I don't really care if it's a Christmas movie or not. I just I do like Die Hard though, and I just want to wish everyone. Um, I don't know if we're gonna see you know be be in your ear holes before the new year, but <laughs> I just want to say, fuck this year. <laughs> this year sucked in a lot of ways. It had you know for some people, I, I hope that it, there was some good points to this year that really kind of you know. Were silver linings within the shit show, the dumpster fire that was this year in a lot of ways from vaccines not coming up until now and this stupid ass virus, you know, destroying a lot of people's lives and ending over 300 Americans lives. 300,000. 300,000, I mean. Mm -hmm. And it's a man craziness yeah. crazy crazy craziness we can this only year. go up from here matt we've this year has been a very very low point in our lives <laughs> you know but you know throughout all of this um i just want to say we're very thankful to all of our listeners mm-hmm. we're thankful to all of our friends and family mm-hmm. and we're also very thankful to all the good people out there that really 
instill all those good feelings around that, you know, the couple of the movies that the two movies that we talked about really kind of bring out. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, we'll be continue doing this into 2021. We've got We're lots very of excited. Plans. Very excited for it. Yeah. So closing out the year, my name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting Over the VCR. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>